0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Talk with Mahindra Racing. My name is Nikki Shields. Now, hopefully, you caught our last episode where we caught up with the drivers Alexander Sims and Oliver Rowland. If you didn't, go and listen to it in about 20 minutes' time when you've stayed listening to this one because this is going to be a great episode. Because I can't believe I'm about to say this for the first time ever in the history of Straight Talk. We have the CEO of Formula E here with us, Jamie Regal. Jamie, pleasure to have you here. And alongside, of course, back with us is Team Principal Dil Um, How are you, Jamie?
1: I'm great. It's wonderful to be here. This is, uh, yeah, it's two years into Formula E, so I'm very honoured to be invited to be on Straight Talk. I've been listening, avid listener, First time talker. So very, uh, very excited to be here.
0: It's kind of mad when you say that, um, you know, two, two years in the making, I still think it's bizarre that I'm saying season eight the whole time. It's just mm-hmm. gone so quickly. Your journey into Formula e, does it feel like a whirlwind or can you remember the life before electric street racing?
1: <laughs> I do not remember. It's been a long two years. No, look, it's, it's super exciting as we enter season eight. right? I mean, when we look at the uh, the opportunity we have in the championship to tell the story around electric mobility, tell a story around the sport, potential for Formula E to grow as you know the, the pinnacle of electric motorsport. It's a really exciting time. And so when I look back two years ago and think of the challenges that we've been through as a championship, it's pretty incredible <laughs> the level of disruption we paddled through season six, season seven. And so now it's nice to be able to breathe the air, be out meeting people face to face, and then we're really excited to go to Valencia in 10 days' time and kick things off.
0: Yes, you timed it. Um well, badly, it depends which way you look at it. It was probably uh, definitely the biggest and the toughest season for all of us, obviously, with the challenge of COVID. But we've managed to ride that wave and we're very excited about season eight. I know it's a difficult thing to say, but we've got so many new exciting races to look forward to. If you could pick one particular
1: race, what is it that you're looking forward to the most? Well, look, I'm going to dodge that question and answer uh, answer, <laughs> <pretty> answer <laughs> diplomatically. No, I, look, I think we've got a super exciting calendar for the next for the next season. And to your point, you know, the last 18 months has been difficult. We've had to compromise some of our principles. You know, we've gone to racetracks, we've done multiple races at the same venues. That was all in the interest of trying to put a championship on and, and deliver the series and, and continue to deliver the product. As I look forward, you know, next year feels like the first year where we're really going to you know, be able to puff our chests out and say, okay, this is this is the Formula E FIA World Championship, ABB FIA Formula <laughs> E World Championship. We're going to go to Monaco again, right? And we've committed to go to Monaco annually. And I think that shows that we belong on the biggest stages in motorsport. I yeah. think what we saw last May was really some spectacular racing. You know, in the buildup, everyone talked about lap times after they talked about overtakes and exciting racing. So to me, that's 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 really important. We have some classic Formula E venues that we're going to be back with with fans, Berlin, Rome. I think what we showed last year with London, being able to do indoor and outdoor, Mm. super cool. And then, you know, when I look at new venues, we have Vancouver, we have Seoul, and we have Jakarta. And those are very different markets, very different cities. Um, You think of Jakarta, 20, 25 million people, a lot of cars and motorbikes on the road that are definitely not electric. So there's a really Good story we can tell there in terms of electric mobility. Vancouver, which is sort of my adopted hometown. Uh, I'll be able to host my parents. That's kind of exciting. Yeah. They're, they're, they're very excited about this. <laughs> and, you know, it, <laughs> what, <laughs> you will meet them. He's known as Mr. Regal, actually. He, uh, he was my teacher in sixth grade. So really? Mr. Regal, yeah, that's how, that's how we know him. But we're going to race in, in False Creek, which, is, uh, which was until 2003, a IndyCar track. And so, you know, again, we're going into a venue which has a history of motorsport. That form of motorsport couldn't go there anymore because Canadians are very attuned to um, the environment and, and noise. But we can go in there because we're because we're Formula E and we're electric. So I think that's going to be a super cool setting. And then Seoul for anyone who's been to Seoul, it's it's like being in the future. Uh, it really is uh, you know a city of the future. And and I think we'll. Uh, We'll be able to put on a good show there too so I've totally dodged your question they're all exciting if, <laughs> if I if I have funny. to pick one I guess I'll say Vancouver because you know I'm Canadian there's a bit of that in my heart
0: <laughs> to be honest I do ask the question a lot and uh you're not alone lots of people it's so difficult to decide I find it difficult to decide because we do race in some of the world's most iconic cities and that's what Formula e is about and that's what we really do and and it is amazing to see it and, and probably a reminder as well to our still back I mean Mahindra joined Formula e at the very beginning they were the one of the very first teams to commit it's been an incredible journey, 84 races, I think. But looking back, I suppose, before we look ahead, what was it in the very early, early days? Because it wasn't um, like the landscape that we see today that Mahindra and yourself saw as the opportunity. Why did they want to commit and come on board with Formula E?
2: I think from our perspective, we did realise there was going to be a fork on the road towards electric mobility. Yeah. And we felt this will be the best laboratory for Mahindra, sort of catch up on technology with cars and manufacturers who were slightly ahead of us. So said, okay, let's go like dive, dive in the deep end. We know we're going to survive. Okay, it might take us some time to sort of start swimming and floating on the rest, but we knew we were going to get there. So the initial years was their focus was largely around trying to learn how to race and then start moving some of the technologies back uh, towards the road. And I think it's been pretty interesting because now this decade, of 2020 to 2030 is the decade for electric mobility in the markets where we are strong in which are largely emerging markets and like countries like India etc we're in the perfect storm right now with technology and regulation coming together where regulation is talking about and mandating moving towards newer technologies and at the same time We've also kept up in terms of innovation, etc. So my understanding is you know, to be in a pretty strong position going forward. And I think we're making some bold statements in terms of our investments into electric mobility in the next couple of years.
0: And if you could, I know it's a very difficult one because it has been such a journey over the last seven years, pick, I suppose, one success story or one moment or what it, what's a sort of standout moment for you in that history of Mahindra racing in Formula e? I
2: think for me personally, it was one of my most disappointing days, but it still sort of sticks in my memory because it was a very bold statement we made. It was when we launched a hypercar brand called Automobile Pin and Freena at the racetrack in Rome. So we came out there, we said, okay, we're going to be not only really going to launch an electric car brand, but we're going to launch an electric car brand which is going to be like in a product range which we have never sort of worked on. We've always been doing like sub $20,000 cars, and now we're going to be talking about a $2 million car out there. And that is sort of the leap of faith which we sort of took. And, we, and the car was launched, the brand was launched. A year later, we actually had the show car out there at Rome. And now the, car, the cars are going to be starting to be delivered to customers at the end of this year. So in three years, from a concept... Dude delivery to customers has been huge. And the reason why the day was disappointing was we actually took pole position that day with one of the records in Formula with 0.6 seconds of Felix Rosenquist. We were leading 22 of the 33 laps in the race before the car failed. So it was literally a perfect day. <gasps> Bosses were in town. Oh. The media was there. We, had, we put the car on pole and then couldn't uh, like finish the job. And it's also quite unique because that's the only race out of the 86. We raced in blue. Yeah, we, we actually changed the whole livery and the team kit. And the funny part was we were right next to the Audi garage and the Audi guys were in red. And so in practice, Felix actually drove into their garage thinking it was a thing. <laughs> and he was actually shunted out of their garage. Said, oh, my there Today's blue. And he moved into the Audi garage. So yeah, it was interesting fun. Speaking of leaps of
1: faith, though, I think another highlight for Dilbag was his leap into our co-founder Alberto's arms after, <laughs> after winning the race in London. I
0: and mean, that,
2: was, that was a moment for me. It was
0: a great moment and it got plenty of views on social media so you're
2: you know your social media team will be very happy yeah, like, <laughs> my, my team keeps telling me like every circus needs a clown
0: <laughs> you're, you're more than that <laughs> you no just wear two two, two two masks <laughs> but i mean what what an amazing moment and congratulations again on Pininfarina because it is a beautiful car that batista it is phenomenal and uh, i'm looking forward to that drive that you promised me
2: no pressure <laughs> okay
0: you'll get it But Jamie, I mean, for you, obviously, yeah, there's been this amazing journey in Formulary and to come into it now when there is this kind of electric revolution taking place as well. Obviously, we've just been at COP26. Um, You were speaking there. You were also there part of the launch with the International Department for Trade with the Clean Growth Programme. There are so many massive changes happening at the moment and driving electric is really quite fundamental to all of it. And obviously Formula E being the sport that can push those boundaries has a huge role to play in that. So suddenly there are so many more eyes on Formula E than I think there has been ever before.
1: Well, I, I, when I was doing some of the media work in, uh, in Glasgow, you know, as I was reflecting on you know, why are we here, we belong at COP. right? It was a very mm-hmm. natural place yeah. for Formula E to be because we're the only sport that was founded with, with purpose, from the beginning, right? We were specifically uh, conceived to address climate change, and specifically how how we can use mobile, excuse me, uh, electromobility to address transport challenges. Right? Thirty percent or forty percent of total carbon emissions are, are from transport. So we were at home in that environment. We were at home because of our purpose. We were home because to put our races on requires the collaboration of governments and business and consumers to be able to come together to to affect change. Right? So we really. We're, we're naturally comfortable there. And then to your point, Nikki, I think, yes, I mean, we've got two elements. We've got the sporting element mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, drawing attention to the core product. And, and you know, we've, we're making some changes on that for season eight to, to really improve things. And then we have, yeah, that purpose side of things where, you know, what is our target audience? Who are we talking to? And I think you look at the people who are interested in those issues at COP and it's not just, Younger people who you know care about the environment, right? The the videos you see, the the, the Greta's, for example, right? It's it's business leaders, it's government leaders, and that's because it's a global issue that everyone needs to care about. And uh, you know that gives me that gives me great hope actually for the next couple of years as as we refine the sport and we focus on Formula E as a racing series with a powerful story to tell. Um, you know, I think there's a really willing audience out there.
0: Does that make it sort of easier or harder? Because I suppose you know. At the beginning, when actually it was very hard to get people's attention with Formulary, e. you know, let's be honest, it was it was the sort of the early believers that were interested. Whereas now, there's a lot of interest, but then there's more scrutiny, there's almost more criticism. So, <laughs> is it easier or harder? I don't know, <laughs> a bit of both.
1: I mean, you know, Formulary e is sort of a classic entrepreneurial story where we're in some respects, disrupting a traditional industry, motorsport, right? I mean, I always say the world wasn't necessarily looking for another motorsport. Those fans are well-served. You know, we're bringing a new form. We're in cities and we're electric in simple terms. And people who are incumbents in that environment, whether they're other racing series or people who have a vested interest in the status quo, are naturally going to talk it down, mm-hmm. right? And I think we, and I say we, Alberto, Alejandro, Phil Bag, all the teams who were big believers earlier, succeeded in the face of that critique and criticism. And I think we had this great run of growth for the first five years, where to build a world championship in such a short time, I mean, it's never been done, certainly in motorsports, not been done in any other sport either, if you think about our status relative to the fact that we were only started seven years ago. On the other hand, what the crisis showed, what COVID showed is that we have a lot of vulnerabilities, right? I mean, it's difficult to put races on in the heart of cities. I think a lot Not of people. Not that it stops
0: you. No, no, <laughs> you but, but we to have to it. lean into that because that's <laughs> yeah. the point of
1: differentiation. We had challenges around the sporting format, right? I mean, we entered uh, Berlin with I think mathematically eighteen racers, eighteen drivers could still win the championship. That makes your job hard, Nikki, it's right? To be busy. able to tell those stories, <laughs> yeah. right? So, you know, what was good, and I'm I'm choosing to see the silver lining here, is is it shine a light on some vulnerabilities within Formula E that we've been trying to address you know, systematically. So how do we be really assertive about our commitment to electric, our commitment to being in the Mm -hmm. cities? How do we look at our race format through two lenses? One One is sporting integrity. And then two is, you know, what we talk about a lot with the team principles is how do you create heroes and rivalries, right? I mean, really that's what sport is all about. It's seeing other human beings achieve great things that, you know, you yourself perhaps I certainly couldn't, couldn't achieve equally having your expectations thrown upside down, right? You expect a certain outcome and, and then there's an upset. That's what sport is. And we have to really lean into that. So yes, the scrutiny is higher. And I think we're held to a different standard because there's a lot of people within, um, candidly within motorsport and with automotive who probably don't want us to succeed. And equally, there are people who look at us through the purpose lens who think, you know, we're holding you to a different standard in terms of, for example, your carbon emissions and how you put on your race series and you know, are you truly as sustainable as you claim you are? So, so we're held at different standards, but that's what's fun, right? And the question is, can we, uh, can we rise to those expectations and, and hopefully exceed them?
0: Well, I mean, Formula e, an amazing achievement being the first sport to be net zero carbon. I mean, that is a huge achievement in itself. Um, does that then obviously bring pressure to Mahindra? Because it's not just about Formula e doing that. The teams have to do that as well. And well, you guys have done really well, actually, haven't you, at Mahindra?
2: We're the first and only motorsport team which is net zero carbon. Yeah. So, yeah. so we've also worked like, got the inspiration. Uh, we learned a lot from Formulae how they went through the journey of yeah. uh, achieving net zero carbon. And I think we were able to adapt to it and uh, start learning. Because for us, I think sustainability, as I keep saying, it's not a choice for today. It's a very long-term vision. Sustainability is, the way we define it is that today's solution should not become tomorrow's problems. Okay, so it has to have a perfect And it's, it's not an act; it's a philosophy, and so it's not only at work we have to imbibe. And I think that's where we are taking this pretty serious. And I'm pretty happy because at COP 22, I think it was in Marrakesh when we were racing, we were accredited to star FIA, and by then we reached COP 26. We got an ISO 14001 certification also uh, for our energy management system, that environment management system that, on, at Mahindra. Yep. I right. mean, just want to keep pulling the rest. It's not a zero-sum game. That's a nice thing about this, because as we do it. We would really encourage our right. colleagues to sort of come on board. And I think that's where we're trying to do It's not that, I win, you lose sort of a situation. We all win as you move on this journey.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point. I mean, to your question about elevated expectations, you know, when I started Formula E, I thought, you know, we're the good, good people, right? We're, we're electric and we're clean and that's probably good enough. What it turns out is our consumers, our fans, our, our stakeholders, board members of car companies, we were held to a different standard than everyone else, which is what led to this net zero carbon initiative. Because we said, "Okay, how can we take another step?" Where we're setting the standard, and I think now what we see—you know, you see other sports coming in and doing it as well. Um, I think it was Tottenham and Chelsea had the first net zero carbon football match. You know, and I'm not saying Formula E deserves credit for that, but what we're doing is trying to set the agenda and trying to lead. You see Formula One with with sustainability narratives and e fuels. They are reacting, right? I view that as a positive, right? They're reacting to. Our positioning, How do I believe that erodes formulae's positioning? Absolutely not. Our distinction is we're in cities and we're electric and we're a pure play on sustainability. Is it good that other forms of motorsport are taking this seriously? Absolutely. I mean, I think otherwise consumers are going to vote with their, their dollars and their feet and won't watch. So generally speaking, I think, I think we're you know helping nudge the world along in a positive way.
0: And you always remember the first sport to do it. (laughs) No one can take that away from you, that's for sure. Um, Well, let's talk about the season ahead because, I mean, we've touched upon obviously the big calendar changes, which is very exciting. But we've got some new rule changes when it comes to qualifying in particular, of course, um, which has been a... Well, it's been discussed a lot, hasn't it? The format of qualifying over the years. Since Formula E started, it was done on a, a lottery when it came to to who was in which group. Then it was changed and the, lot, the, the groups were decided by championship order. Um, then, of course, either way, the drivers will complain. <laughs> the drivers complain when it's a lottery. It's not fair. I was in this group more than that group, than this driver. Um, and then again, you know, there was the issue that there was more track evolution with the group one than maybe something like a group four so we were seeing the drivers towards the top of the grid slightly struggling in qualifying because of the track conditions talk to us about the decisions to change qualifying and give us an insight into i'm actually I'm gonna put you on this one jamie i'd like you to explain <laughs> the new qualifying format because i'm gonna have to do this a lot this season <laughs> i'm gonna follow in your
1: footsteps <laughs> What's interesting when you make a change like this, yeah. and it's a change that most people are excited about, is everyone takes credit. So Sam Bird has <laughs> taken credit. Sam
0: Bird? Hang on a minute. Sam Bird is taking credit.
1: People at the, the FIA have taken credit. You know, there's, there's a lot of folks saying this was, this was my idea. Um, so we'll see what happens in Riyadh, depending I'm on how it plays out. I'm glad you going a heads up so on success that. success okay. has, has many fathers and mothers and, and failures and orphans. So I'll take credit. So then if it doesn't work... <laughs> you know, people, people can blame me. No, it's interesting. I'm mean, coming back to your very earlier question, right? When I was, when I was starting at Formula e, you know, clearly I come from outside of motorsport, right? So I wasn't hired for, you know, my, my insights or knowledge around motorsport or how to structure race championships and things like that. But what I found myself spending a lot of time on is, is the core racing series and and the rules and regulations because ultimately if you want to grow a championship and you want to grow the audience and that that ultimately is is my job in service of, of our teams like like Mahindra you have to have a really compelling core proposition and you know that when you take that for granted for example in in football or, or American football or ice hockey I mean, the rules and regulations of those sports are super clear right and I think in the case of motorsport it's it's a complicated environment anyway. Part of that is the beauty. It's what attracts a certain audience. But if you want to grow, you know, you need to simplify things. So I'll start quickly actually with the race format. So the first change we made was basically eliminating this energy reduction under safety cars and um, under uh, full-course yellows. And that was a really important change because if you asked me to explain the logic of why energy gets reduced under a safety car, I'd be here for five minutes. I probably wouldn't make a coherent argument. So if you think about a fan who, unless they're an engineer or super hardcore into Formula E, they wouldn't understand why energy was being reduced. And so we've changed that to added time, which is a concept everyone understands really simply, right? And I think that's going to go a long way to improving the quality of the racing. If I think of the Rome race, um, you know, there was, uh, we were finishing under a safety car, we had one flying lap at the end. That race would have three or four flying laps. The outcome might be different. Mm -hmm. If nothing else, and it's not about who should win, if nothing else, it'll just be more entertaining. Rome,
2: we were looking for a few additional laps. because Correct. We, were so you see, we might one have one had, one. had a shot. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: But th- but that's what well, that's what the fans want, right? I mean, and and so that, that was the first thing. The second thing then is is the qualifying. That was a long preamble answer. I apologize. <laughs> but the the qualifying, we looked at it and we said, first of all, it's in service of the the race. How do we make sure that the race is as compelling as it can be? Mm-hmm. And I and I think I'll use the term sporting integrity. To me, it's really important. If I use an analogy from tennis and you you'll hear me say this quite a lot now. Roger Federer can can go to Wimbledon and he can lose in the third round, right? Because his knee hurts or because his opponent has the best match of his life or any number of reasons. He doesn't lose in any instance because of the rules of tennis are stacked against him, right? And so when I look at how do we make sure that we have sporting integrity at the heart of Formula E? We wanted to have a qualifying format that would enable that, right? And when people talk about track conditions, yes, it's true that drivers will inevitably find, as we all do in life, right? If it, when things don't work out, we blame everything else other than perhaps our own, our own performance. That's not unique to drivers. How do we make sure that we isolate those instances where it skews into random versus unpredictable, mm-hmm. right? And I think Formula E was intentionally through the rules saying, okay, we're going to go for unpredictability, which is a virtue of sport, right? It's, the outcome is uncertain. That's great. And that's true in football and other sports, right? You don't know what's going to happen. You might get surprised. There's a difference between unpredictable and random, right? And when you have things like track conditions, I think that skews into random. So what we tried to do is optimize for, um, you know, candidly, the best sports people, drivers, teams, engineers, team principals, to be able to rise to the top. And we think that this format will will go a long way to eliminating that randomness because, to answer your question, four groups – Excuse me, two groups. I've already got that wrong. <laughs> two groups. <laughs> top four drivers come out of that group. You have to set a lap time in the first five minutes of the session. So by definition, you're going to end up having two uh, flying laps. So that reduces randomness a little bit. You have a, each driver will have a bit better shot to, to lay down a good lap. The top four go through into a knockout, and then you have quarterfinal, semifinal, final. So sporting integrity is one. And then the second thing we talk about a lot is how do we create heroes and rivalries? That's what sport's all about. And we don't have the history. Mm-hmm that other sports have. Right. So we don't have 70 years of, you know, team A versus team B to lean into for you know, people like you, Nikki, when you're talking about it. And so what we think this qualifying format will do is you'll get Alexander Sims against Oliver Rowland. What does that mean? Wow. You've got two Mahindras against each other. It's a really, you know, who's the best driver laying down a lap head to head. You'll have Mahindra against Jaguar or pick your other team. And that can repeat over the season. So what you'll get, we believe, is you'll get those narratives that, you know, you have in other sports. And so we're trying to short circuit what we don't have, which is 100 years of history. Uh, and we think this format is going to going to help. Now, there's unintended consequences. And I'm sure we're going to find out some things that, you know, we didn't anticipate with this. But we felt it was really important to do that, you know, to build momentum in season eight.
0: Uh, I, th- I think it's fascinating. And, you know, with the duels, with the head-to-heads, it's going to be brilliant because, I think there will be some old rivals that come together and that is going to affect the performance of the drivers for sure. And it's going to be very interesting to see yeah, how their qualifying performance continues, depending on who they're up against in the quarterfinals, the semifinals and the finals. They're the head to heads.
1: But I should say, I mean, this isn't like a, an idea that whoever ultimately deserves credit for having invented it. Um, <laughs> You know, that, that we came up with in a family. lab or, you know, in a, a on, on a whiteboard. I mean, it was really, you know, a joint effort ourselves, the FIA obviously very closely mm-hmm. involved as, as those who set the rules. We talked to our sponsors, you know, how, how do they think about, you know, what's appealing to their audience. Uh, clearly the team principals, the drivers <laughs> weighed in. And Sam Bird. And Sam Bird, and Sam Bird for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Alberto's taking all the credit. And and, and crucially, also the TV, T, TV broadcast partners, right? So ProSieben, and Eurosportly mm-hmm. keep, you know, we brought them in for workshops and we said, how will this work in order for us to be able to tell a simple story? Yeah. And, you know, what, one of the principles was it needs to be compressed right it needs to be done and it done. needs to uh, be able
0: to be completed within a 90 minute show
1: <laughs> exactly no but that's that's really important right because we could have come up with all kinds of formats yeah. that sound cool but then don't present a great uh, media product so look um, we're, we're we're super excited and we think this is going to uh, don't no, kind of change the complexion. Well,
0: I know, you know, obviously, having spoken to you, Jamie, over the course of the season, exactly how many people you've spoken to, and it is—it's a huge thing to obviously change such a, an integral part of a you know sport of the sporting regulations. Um, but I think, surprisingly, because obviously everyone does have their own opinions,
1: everyone's very happy <laughs> with the new rules. This but, is what makes but, me nervous. <laughs> this is what makes me nervous. Everyone I've talked to, yeah. you know, is genuinely enthusiastic about the drivers seem excited and but I think you hit the nail on the head you will see tensions that exist under the surface will you know pop up over the surface but that's sport right I mean you want that tension I mean you see it in other sports you know F1 has it this year with the rivalry between Mercedes and and Red Bull you know we need to create those conditions for that to happen and it's okay if they get a little angry at each other exactly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they can't hide under that helmet for the entire
2: race. I <laughs> well, you know, saw Bohemian season three in Montreal.
0: Oh, we're going to see more of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He got slightly more views on social media than you did with the Alberto hug on that one.
2: That was the thing, an all-time classic, when he went and blamed everyone for everything that did when he walked. You were wrong, you were wrong, you should go see the videos. He was
0: having a bad day, yeah. wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the good thing is we are testing the new qualifying format at testing. So fingers crossed that it will all go well and according to plan. And um, we have run out of time. Can't believe it. We could carry on talking about the season ahead for a very long time. But uh, Doolbag Gill, Jamie Regal, absolute pleasure to have you on this episode of Straight Talk. And we will be bringing you the latest in our next episode. We'll see you there.